small business owners, you struggling with a day-to-day most days, thinking of finding an out? We're all going to retire one day, one way or another. So let's get real about the best ways to grow and exit with a wad of dough. More than theory, Chris and Doug cover real ways to make it happen on your terms. On your terms. Well, today we have a special treat. We're going to be talking to Marissa Alla, um, and she owns a, her own firm that helps with estate planning. And one of the reasons we wanted to cover that on today's session, where Doug is out this week doing workshops, so it's just Marissa and I. Um, I wanted to cover this because a lot of times when I'm helping people sell businesses, they're doing so in an emergency situation, and uh, they don't oftentimes have a lot of time to do their estate planning. But when they do, the outcomes are so much better and it's good to know ahead of time what things to consider early on and, and at what timing that should all happen. So Marissa does this. Um, she and I share um, the perspective that small business owners aren't getting enough attention in the world. And so we focus on those small privately owned business owners that um, that we think deserve, um, deserve the same resources that some of the bigger guys do. So um yeah (laughs) go small business (laughs) (laughs) so would you like to tell us a little bit um marissa about just like what does estate planning mean and how do you connect your personal to your business life um in the course of thinking about retiring absolutely so um yeah so i started my own firm about five years ago following um a family incident where Um, My own grandparents passed away, and there were a lot of difficulties associated with that, um, including a business, an LLC, that had gone through several iterations of inheritance, um, making it really difficult for people who really didn't know each other um, and didn't have anything to do with the original business, uh, have to try to resolve that and sell it and go through the court process, and it made it very difficult. So that's a little bit of um, the background of why I got into this business. And for estate planning, um, I I regularly work with all kinds of clients, but in particular, I enjoy working with clients that have small businesses because it's a commonly missed element of estate planning. You know, for example, people think about their personal stuff and who's going to get my house, who's going to get my stuff, but they don't always know the intricacies of what's involved in transferring a business and what documents might apply. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoy helping people, you know, through that process. Yeah. And when they're thinking about estate planning, how much time does it take to kind of get to the optimal place where you're in a good situation? So keeping in mind that, you know, the the transfer of the business is one thing, but the planning that goes into going up to that and where do you put the money once you get it, things like that. Mm-hmm. What are some of the common mistakes or misperceptions that people that people have? 
Yeah, I mean, well, to answer your first question, as far as timing, I think that people think it must take forever, right? Or it's going to take so long to do this planning. And remarkably, it's actually fairly simple. Um, if you're working with the right attorney like me, it's a very um, simplified process and it's not scary at all. We make it really um, friendly and comfortable. Um, so, you know, really honestly, it only takes a few hours of someone's time to do a basic estate plan. Mm. Um, when it comes to the common misconceptions, I actually think that's one of them, which is, oh gosh, this is going to take forever, right? But it really doesn't. Um, we guide you through the process, get the information we need, and it doesn't take very long. On the contrary, if you don't plan ahead, and like you said at the beginning of the um, of the podcast recording, if you don't plan ahead and someone all of a sudden, you know, you've, you've passed away or you are in an accident or you're retiring maybe without a lot of succession planning, that's when things can actually um, take a lot longer because a court process might become involved. And that's, you know, that really um, changes things. I know. Um, I know. Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say that okay. I think a lot of people think that there's this almost like I have to set up a separate holding company. And I mean, I think some of those like misperceptions about how it gets structured is, is uh, right. top of mind. Exactly. I know. Well, um, one of the one of the vehicles that I like to use a lot is a trust, and it really depends on the business. But you know, as far as a separate holding company, that's not always used. It can be for people who maybe have a lot of real estate investments, but I prefer to use a revocable living trust, or in some instances, it might be an irrevocable trust depending on tax um, liabilities. But, you know, those trusts are designed to hold assets and make them easier to transfer upon someone's passing. So we use a lot of vehicles. We look over bylaws. We look over um, you know, LLC operating agreements to make sure that they have language in them that discusses what happens when somebody passes away. And is that language um, in line with your own estate plan? Because um, there could be buyout provisions, for instance, if you hold, if you're a multi-member LLC or you're in a corporation with other people, um, most commonly there's going to be some kind of buyout provision as opposed to just an inheritance of your share. Mm -hmm. um, we also help with corporate resolutions that might be necessary to change those provisions. So that, that kind of uh, thing becomes very common. Okay. And, and so when you are setting up your um, bylaws with the secretary of state, you know, putting those into the, the, the county or city or federal, whatever records that you're submitting, where do bylaws go when you're done with them and how often should you be updating those? That's a good question. Um, most of the time, at least here in Washington, it's going to be your articles of incorporation for a corporation and even just articles of an organization for an LLC that are actually deposited, for lack of a better word, with the Secretary of State. It's really just a certificate of formation and annual report for an LLC. Mm -hmm. So all these other corporate documents that we prepare, they just stay in our possession. 
Um, most people will have, you know, kind of old school thought would be they might have a binder or some kind of folder that's in their office in the primary um, place of business. But these days with everything being so um, paperless and everyone being so tech savvy, you know, for my own companies, I just have it all online. So I have a, a very cleanly organized folder on my computer system that's labeled, you know, operating docs or corporate documents. And in there, you should always have your updated um, annual reports, your bylaws, articles of incorporation, operating agreement, all of those necessary documents that, you know, really govern your company, any resolutions that you prepare. And I think this is, um, depending on how organized somebody is, this is an area where people can get a little sideways. Um, but it's another thing that I can help people do is determine you know, where to keep that stuff. And I always keep a copy too for people who uh, work with me to create businesses and so forth. So the buyout provision can live within the bylaws and or articles of incorporation or how do, uh, how do they get reference to the public or, or people that just are responsible for closing the estate? How do they know where to look? Is it in something else? Well, but that's a good question because uh, and I'm so glad you asked that. The, the biggest problem is that people don't know where to look. They have really no idea. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they a person who's administering an estate is probably going to be either a personal representative um, if someone has passed away, or it might be a trustee of a trust. And that individual, if they're not prepared in advance, might just be going through your office, going through your personal documents to try to find whatever they can to inform them, you know, what to do. Mm -hmm. Someone might also call a lawyer and say, you know, for instance, when I help somebody through a probate process, the first thing I'm going to tell them to do is to find those documents. Um, but again, somebody working on their own, not working with a lawyer, they might have no idea where to look. Look, They might just look at someone's will. The will could be silent on what happens with the business because the business might be just governed by the bylaws, right? Or the operating agreement. Mm -hmm. So it is a, a source of confusion um, and potential, uh, disruption, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, of the estate. So another personal example is my own grandfather. When, uh, when he passed away, I really wasn't doing this area of practice yet. I was really heavily involved in construction litigation. So when my grandfather passed away, he had a 25% share in an LLC that was historically a family LLC. Now, when you have a 25% share, you can't do anything. <laughs> you don't get to call the shots. You don't get to try to sell. There's really nothing you can do. So we ended up staying in probate for three years while we had to try to resolve this LLC problem. And so that's, you know, I mean, nobody would have thought ahead of time that this could have happened, that an LLC family LLC would tie up an estate for more than three years. 
And when you, and for the folks that don't know what probate is, probate, what, what would you describe that as? That is, so probate um, in its simplest form is the court administration of uh, dispersing your assets, right? So a court, a judge, a clerk, they oversee the process of you as a personal representative distributing assets to the heirs of the person who passed away. So it's when there's so everybody involved. I'm sorry, can you say that again? So it's when there's a controversy or a disagreement involved, you're, you're kind of stuck in probate until it's resolved? Yeah, although, you know, probate does not necessarily have to have a controversy. Um, there are two main triggers for probate. This is another thing. You know, people think probate is um, some scary, nasty process. And they always say, oh, I want to avoid probate at all costs. And I suppose that's a wise thing to do. But probate's not that hard for most people. Probate is triggered when you own real estate in your own name. So say I, as an individual, own a home that I am renting out for investment purposes or even living in. If it's just in my name, Marissa Alla, and I pass away, even if my will says I want my husband or my kids to get this house, it still needs to be court supervised through probate. Mm -hmm. A title company would require that. So you can't physically transfer real estate unless it goes through probate. Now, again, that's only if you own it as an individual. The other sort of trigger um, or common trigger is if you have assets worth more than $100,000 that are what we call non-probate assets, or I'm sorry, probate assets. No, <laughs> I messed up there. Um, but that's a long, complicated discussion. Um, that being said, you know, people need to know when it's um, appropriate to file with a court and when it's not. These kinds of corporate issues can sometimes require it just because people don't know what to do. Well, and some of that might be in the setup. Um, I wonder if you could spend a minute to just describe LLCs, corporations, S-corps, and how they are treated differently in um, estate planning. Absolutely. Um, so just generally, when we talk about forming a company, um, most of the time, the reason why you would choose one corporate form over another is just for tax considerations. Um, I would say that it doesn't necessarily change the way we handle anything from an estate planning perspective, but it's all about, you know, what kind of um, tax structure do we want? So an LLC, a limited liability company, really has become one of the most common ways that small businesses are formed. And when you do an LLC, it's very simple. Um, there's just a registration with the Secretary of State I highly recommend doing an operating agreement, although it's not even required by law, it should be done. And, you know, some other basic um, formation steps. Somewhat similar with a corporation. So when you look at a corporation, it's gonna have a different tax structure. You're going to have officer positions like a president, vice president, treasurer, secretary, et cetera. And then you have your articles of incorporation and your bylaws that govern the company, who votes, who has what responsibilities, what kind of income is going to be distributed, et cetera. And there are, you know, depending on how many 
owners there's going to be, how you want to pay yourself. Those are the considerations that we talk about when we decide what type of company you want to form. Um, from an estate planning perspective, sometimes depending on the type of business it is, it can be wise to have a trust hold the, the um, LLC in the trust's name. So for example, someone has a rental property, a real estate investment property. And instead of putting that property um, into the name of the LLC itself, let's say they create an LLC um, ABC property rental. That's the name of the LLC. Well, instead of having ABC property rental on title to the house, what they can do is it's really a two-step process. You have the trust, your own personal trust agreement, own ABC rental first, and then you have ABC rental own the house. So it's two layers instead of one. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but it can make your estate a smoother transfer at the end of the day, because the trustee can now manage the LLC. Got it. That makes yeah. sense. A long way of saying that is that, you know, trusts are great vehicles because they um, really are seamless when somebody passes away, if everything's funded correctly. And again, that's another whole podcast talking about trust funding. But that being said, if everything in the trust has been properly formed and done, then you're, if something happens to you, then your successor just takes over seamlessly. Mm -hmm. And there's no need to go to court. There's no need to change title on anything. It's just a very easy, um, you know, continuation of the business. And who are typical trustees? Are they usually family members, business partners, attorneys? What, what would be the most common? For, for trustees? Mm -hmm. Um, more commonly than not, for a very small business, it's going to be you and or your spouse as the initial trustee, um, but your successor trustee can be anyone from an older child of yours, it can be um, a business partner or friend, um, someone in a high level of trust position, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not going to be someone who you're not going to name someone who's not the best at finances, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like appointing a godfather or godmother <laughs> of your child. They've got to know how to parent a little bit, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. You're not going to name someone as your personal representative who's irresponsible and never, um, you know, never mm -hmm. takes care of business. Yeah. Uh, same thing with a trustee. It's always and and usually, you know, when I have clients who just aren't sure who to choose we'll go through the options together. We'll talk about, you know, who they're thinking of and why. And while I can't tell somebody who to choose, I can give them um, basic considerations um, to think about as to why they should choose one person over another. That makes sense. Okay. So let's just say for the moment, you've, you've started your planning, you have maybe even referenced in your operating 
agreement, your buyout provision, maybe is that is that a connection that people often make is they put their buyout provision in in the either the operating agree uh, operating um, document or the articles of incorporation. Yeah, if there's going to be a buyout expected, it should be in one of those two documents. Okay, perfect. Um, and it, you know, especially when it comes to partnerships, if it's just a single member LLC, you're not likely to have that kind of provision. Or even if it's just a corporation that's owned by one person, like my law firm is a corporation, it's only owned by me because it can only be owned by a lawyer. Um, there's no provision for buyout. Right. It would be illegal for anybody other than a lawyer to buy my company. Mm -hmm. okay. So there are instances like that that won't apply. Okay. But if you're dealing with a company that's a partnership, um, you know, for instance, one time I was representing someone who was a partner in a medical practice. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe it was medical equipment. They weren't doctors, but it was some kind of medical equipment industry. And it was very, very clear in their bylaws that the, um, and in fact, actually, I think it was a partnership with an operating agreement that the partners would first have, you know, essentially the right of first refusal mm -hmm. to buy out the share of the person who was either retiring or had passed away. If they then choose not to pursue that buyout, then it's a different question um, altogether. You know, is it something that can be inherited or not? Mm -hmm. Got it. And so it's either inherited or if it's sold, it designates who gets the proceeds from the sale. Exactly. Okay. Well, you know, one thing I would point out here, it's actually a really good point, a really good uh, segue to talk about key man insurance. Um, it's one of those things that through working with various business owners, I've recommended to them that if there's a key man, a real, a person who is in charge, a partner of an LLC that is um, high level, that would potentially you know, require a significant buyout, putting key man insurance on that person can actually um, provide the funds to the partner to buy out at the time of someone's passing. There's all kinds of things that you can do with insurance there to make sure that your partners are protected because your partner would be the beneficiary of the key man insurance policy allowing them to buy you out. That makes a lot of sense. So those, that would be like a term life insurance policy that when, when you expire, it, uh, it, it generates funding to be used by your, either your estate or in this case, your partner to buy you out. And that yeah. money that it buys you out with can go to your estate so that your spouse or your kids can benefit from that money. Exactly. So, okay. you know, and I just want to, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's term or, um, to be honest, you would have to talk to an insurance agent about how that works, but key man insurance is a specific kind of life insurance policy um, for business, you know, high level business people. And then just not to be confused with a regular life insurance policy, which should also, in my opinion, be purchased to make sure that your family, you know, is set up right away. So there's two different really levels there. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you've set yourself up. <clears throat> you have your, your, um, 
beneficiaries um, outlined. You have the folks that are going to take over the business outlined. You mm -hmm. have um, established maybe your trustees and who those mm -hmm. are. And this is all decisions that would be best made with you. And then finally, you get to sell the business. And there's this, the big, scary capital gains word that we have ahead of us. And I know this isn't a tax question. This is more of a what do what happens with ta you know capital gains from your perspective? How should we think about it? I mean that's a great question, and like you said, it's hard it's hard not to get into tax um, considerations when it comes to capital gains. But I think it's something that a partnership could should consider, um, particularly if it's real estate investment, whether there will be some kind of capital gains required that the family member say. Um, backing up just a bit, when there when a family member inherits the business or inherits property or whatever it is, there's no inheritance tax. Um, and so inheriting is the best way to prevent capital gains because there's something called a stepped up basis. When you inherit property or you inherit, you know, I think, and I'm mostly talking about real estate here, um, but you get a stepped up basis so that at the time that you inherit the asset, that's the date, the new um, sort of origin date for your tax calculations. Um, if on the other hand, someone were to be gifted property before they die, so this happens a lot. People will gift someone a house and say, oh, I'm just trying to make it easy so that there's no probate later. What they don't realize is that they do not get the stepped up basis. Rather, they have to sort of go back in time. And the basis for ta tax calculations is the date when the original owner purchased the, docu the, the asset. Mm. So I know, so it's really, um, it's uh, really can be a very significant impact on capital gains. Uh, it's somewhat hard to explain, but um, if you want, I can just go through a better example. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would say, let's say my dad owns a house and he bought that house in here in Spokane back in, I don't know, 2000 for lack of a better time frame, And he bought that house in the year 2000 for $100,000. Mm -hmm. Now it's 2022 and my dad says, hey, Marissa, I wanna give you this house. Um, I wanna continue to live in the house, but I'm gonna change title, I'm gonna give it to you so that you know when I die, it's already yours. Mm -hmm. And I say, great dad, that's awesome. Well, when, when dad passes away, I inherit or I have the house, it's in my name, but my basis for tax calculations is $100,000, the date on which he purchased the house in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. It is not the date that I actually was gifted the house. So say when I was gifted the house, it was worth $500,000. dollars mm -hmm. That is not my basis. My basis is $100,000. Mm. Now, on the alter in the alternative, if he did not gift me the house, 
but he properly did estate planning and the house came to me as an inheritance, my basis would then be 500,000. It would be how much the house is worth at the time my dad passed away. That highly impacts capital gains because when I go to sell that house, um, you know, you want that higher base, you want the basis to be as high as possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not being an accountant, similar principles apply <laughs> when it comes to corporation assets. And it's super important to know ahead of time, you know, how that's going to work and having a, a really good CPA um, on hand is critical for that. Mm -hmm. So you really partner with the CPA and the client to work this whole equation into something that optimally works out for that situation. I can see there's a lot of variables here, but I know I learned something today. I did not really realize about the gifting versus the inheritance that mm -hmm. if there was no other takeaway from today, I think that's something everybody should really cont contemplate closely when they, when they want to come up with their planning. Um, but it happens more often than you think. I see it all the time and I just go, oh, you know, there are ways through estate planning that we can do this without making a present gift. So right. there are yeah. a lot of ways. Well, now I know enough to be dangerous. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if it's, it's helpful for you. We'll, we'll kind of wrap up this by giving folks a, you know, maybe the first three steps in the process, very, very tactical, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, maybe I'm, I'm 65. I'm sitting on a business that's worth half a million dollars. Maybe you can give them a, a, a few first steps and then that's maybe where they um, end up connecting with you. Absolutely. And I think obviously step number one is just call me and we talk. I do an initial consultation um, that's free and we talk through what your situation is and it gives us an opportunity to discuss, you know, what uh, steps you individually should contemplate, right? Um, oftentimes, step number two is us actually preparing a will or a trust or whatever documents we think are necessary. Um, and then step three might look like corporate resolutions or revisions to operating agreements to make sure that everything is integrated properly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't often take any kind of revision to the Secretary of State or anything like that, but it could also look like changing title to assets. Um, in some cases, when I work with people who have real estate investments, but maybe they've never titled them into an LLC, we might need to create an LLC and retitle the property. So that's generally what it would look like. Mm -hmm. I see. That was really, that was a really good recap. Um, especially important is to get the, um, get the, you had mentioned the real estate and I'm, I'm almost thinking it's just assets in general are in, in getting the assets and everything, everything titled into the right name, or at least provisions provided to get to the next generation. Are yes. real estate, uh, is the treatment of real estate the same as the treatment of just say assets like equipment or uh, that sort of thing within a business that maybe doesn't have the real estate, but just is leasing, but it has its own set of assets. I would always say that the treatment of real estate is different than everything else. Okay. Um, you know, everything else can usually be passed uh, outside of probate and it really depends on the total value of it all. 
Um, you know, cause like I said, there's that cap of a hundred thousand dollars that could, you know, trigger a probate. Um, but real estate just has that extra layer on it that planning is super important to, especially because of the capital gains and because of the risk for probate. Got it. Okay. Well, and then I have one more nitty gritty question that I'm just curious yes. about um, myself. And that is when, um, when somebody transfers ownership of their business, there's a certain price allocation. Some of it goes towards equipment. Some of it goes towards real estate, but then there's two kind of um, funny categories that are goodwill, non-compete. These are the non-tangibles. Are there, is there any special considerations you have in the state planning for those? No, no, nothing there. That's a really a good thought. I think that, you know, it just comes with the inheritance of or sale of the business. And then it's just cash um, anyway. So that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, one thing that could, that could trigger depending on the extent of it is the need for an appraisal. Mm. Um, and I think that uh, this comes into any kind of succession plan, whether it's emergency or not, is whether or not you need a business appraisal. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that if you were in a probate situation, more often than not, I will tell a client they need an appraisal. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Then you get the, the true value of the business, which is very hard, by the way, I'll say that <laughs> getting there's no there's not a pure science attached to appraisals and valuations, but um, it'll at least give you a rough idea. So um, yeah, I get this question all the time. How do you calculate it? And I say, well, I mean, of course, you're looking at the assets less the debts, but there's so much more to it than that. How long have you been in business? You know, what's your goodwill, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and then that's where you flip over to my end of the world. And that's why we work together. So I'm looking forward to um, us helping as many people as we can together. We both have the first conversations free policy. And um, I think that is very healthy for people to at least understand which direction to go. And I think you gave us some really good tidbits. So I appreciate it very much. And thank you. You are very welcome. All right. Well, we'll see you around the corner. Make your business work for you and make some change. Set up time with Doug or Chris. Get 30 minutes with Doug to plan your growth. Get 30 minutes with Chris to plan your exit.